Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. This episode's intriguing event happened in the year 1741. But what else happened that year? On April the 6th, the New York slave insurrection, which was a plot to set fire to New York City, is discovered. Fear gripped Manhattan as fires burned across all the inhabited areas of the island. The suspected culprits included hundreds of New York slaves, free blacks and lower-class whites, 172 of whom were arrested and tried for conspiracy to burn the town and murder its white inhabitants. As in the Salem witch trials, a few witnesses implicated many other suspects. In the end, 34 people were executed. The 13th of April of that year saw the Royal Military Academy in Woolwich established to train officers of the Royal Artillery and Royal Engineers. August the 22nd to September the 14th, George Frederick Handel composes his oratorio, Messiah, in London, to a liberato compiled by Charles Jennings, completing the Hallelujah Chorus on the 6th of September. On November the 18th, Handel arrives in Dublin to give a series of concerts, having tried out the Messiah in a cheeky little impromptu concert held en route in Chester. On August the 23rd, at least 2,000 people die along the shores of the Sea of Japan, after a volcanic eruption on an island generated the Campo Tsunami. November the 25th to the 26th, Franco-Bavarian troops, commanded by Maurice of Saxony, storm Prague. And on December the 25th, Anders Celsius develops his own thermometer scale, centigrade, the predecessor of the Celsius scale. But the event we're going to be talking about today occurred in January of that year, and it was supposed to be an evening of celebration. Two brothers, who'd been at war with each other, were sitting down in the home of their solicitor, Mr Jarrett Smith. One was Captain Samuel Gooder, the captain of Her Majesty's ship, Ruby. The argument was over the fact that Sir John Dinley Goodyear, baronet and admiral, had cut his brother, Samuel, from inheriting a large estate in Worcestershire, which should have gone to him, as Sir John had no children.
word of the week. And today's word is... Quorum, which is the lowest number of qualifying people needed for a meeting to be able to make a decision. Quite obviously, Samuel fought the decision by his older brother of cutting him out of the will by using Mr. Jarrett Smith as his solicitor. A few weeks before the treacherous deed, Samuel approached his brother for a reconciliation through the solicitor. The two brothers met at Mr. Smith's house on the 18th of January, 1741. They kissed each other and sat down by the fire. Give me leave, Sir John, said the solicitor, pleased with his work and no doubt thinking of the huge monetary rewards for his endeavours. To drink, love and friendship. Ay, with all my heart, I don't drink wine, nothing but water, notwithstanding I wish love and friendship, replied Sir John. Samuel Goodyear filled a glass and wishing love and friendship drank to his brother's health. After that, The captain put the cork back into the wine bottle and drank water, just like his brother. The two brothers began talking pleasantly about how nice it was on the lands of the old estate in Herefordshire, and the baronet made an appointment with the solicitor for the next morning, as he was trying to get a loan of £5,000. Then he left. Shortly afterwards, the captain followed, which was the signal for the eight or nine men who rushed out of the White Hart Alehouse opposite St Augustine's Church at the bottom of College Green. The group followed Sir John and his servant, seizing them at the first opportunity. (laughs) Whilst Sir John was being abducted, there was a crowd gathering and they were told that Sir John was a midshipman who had committed murder and they were taking him back to their ship. The baronet cried out that he was in fact being taken to be killed. He called out to one little girl who was watching in awe, the man in the fancy red clothing who was being dragged along the streets by the press gang. Get me someone to help me, they're going to murder me. After dragging the baronet for some way, the press gang stopped to rest by a hemp loft, and that's where Captain Goodear caught up with them, dressed in a dark coat with yellow buttons, and told the men to hurry up. So they then carried Sir John past a lime kiln and onto a man-of-war's barge. A woman working at the lime kiln, whose husband had mended Sir John's sedan chair the previous summer, recognised the baronet as he was being dragged past, shouting in agony. Murder, murder, for the Lord's sake, save me, for they're going to kill me. Further along, a man named Dupree, quietly drinking a pint of ale with a friend at the King's Head near Hotwells, also heard Sir John's cry. For God's sake, go and acquaint Mr Jarrett Smith, for I am undone. They will murder me. Another man on a nearby ship lying in a private dock saw a Mr Perry come out of the counting house and go up to the sailors, dragging the men, and say, Gentlemen, do you know what you are about? I would not be in your coats for a thousand pounds, 
for it is Squire Goodyear. The sailors cried back. Damn you, stand off or else we'll knock your brains out. Just as he was being bundled into the boat, Sir John called out to the alarmed crowd on the shore. Murder, you gentlemen that are on the shore, pray tell Mr Jarrett Smith that my name is Dinley. Before he could finish his sentence, his brother took the flap of his cloak, threw it over his face and covered his mouth, saying, I will take care that you shall not spend your estate. Then the eight rowers set off and the boat was out of sight, with the screams of Sir John still clearly heard. On the street. This week, let me take you to Marmaduke Street in BS3. There was a house of this name in Totterdown in the 1880s. In Victorian times, the word was used as a byword for a fop or a dandy. All the way during his torturous journey, being dragged along the streets of Bristol. So John asked his brother what he was planning on doing with him, and the brutal reply was... I'm going to carry you on board and save you from lying rotting in jail. At the time, Sir John was dressed in black, with a ruffled shirt, a scarlet cloak, a black velvet cap with ear flaps and a large broad-rimmed hat. He was groaning as he was shoved into the purser's cabin with a guard at all times. Mr Weller, the ship's carpenter, was called to fit bolts to the door and he began talking quietly with the new prisoner. When asked if his brother was going to murder him, the carpenter replied that he believed that the captain was only taking care of him. The carpenter went on to say that he had been warned that his lordship had been mad for the past 12 months. A sailor named Mahoney was ordered to strip Sir John of his wet clothes, and once again, Sir John asked, Brother Sam, what do you intend to do with me? To save you from rotting in a jail, was the reply before Mahoney was ordered to take away his brother's knife. That night, about two o'clock, the cooper's wife woke up hearing Mahoney advise Sir John to go to sleep, but he said he could not. Mahoney then said, I am to go on shore in the morning, and if you have any letters to send to Bristol, I will carry them for you. Then a voice said to the prisoner, You must lie still and not speak a word for your life. Then there was a great struggle. Sir John cried out, Murder! Help! And for God's sake! And then it sounded like Sir John was suffocating. There were then whispers, and Sir John cried again, Help, for God's sake, I have guineas in my packet too. Take it, must I die? Oh, my life. There were more sounds of struggling, and then the door opened and a light was brought in. The cooper was woken up by his wife and looked and saw unmistakably this damning fact against the captain. The hand that held the light 
was paler than that of a common sailor. It closed on the murdered man's throat, and a voice said, It's done. And well done. Mahoney and a man named White then ripped the pockets of the corpse and took out the Admiral's watch, some silver and gold. At four o'clock, some of the men were called up to get out the boat for White and Mahoney to go to shore. The frightened Cooper then got up and asked the Sentinel what all the noise was about. During the conversation, the Cooper said, I believe they have killed that gentleman. The Sentinel agreed with him. The Cooper and Doctor's mate then drew the scuttle that looked into the prisoner's cabin from the steward's room and cried, Sir, if you are alive, speak. But there was no answer. The Cooper then took a long stick and tried to rouse Sir John, but it was obvious that he was dead. Sir John was lying on one side, with his right leg drawn up and bent, his hat over his face and blood around his mouth. The doctor refused to alarm the vessel. The Cooper then told the lieutenant if he did not, then he would write at once to the Admiralty and the Mayor of Bristol. The lieutenant and the Cooper then went into the captain's cabin and seized the captain as the murderer of his brother. When the captain was first arrested, he cried out, Hey, hey, what have I done? And when he was told about the murder of his brother, he replied, The villains have murdered my brother. Can I help it know nothing of it? At the trial, the Cooper testified that he heard Sir John, when alone, pray to God to be his comforter in his current situation, saying he knew he was going to be murdered and praying the crime might come to light by some means or another. And later on that evening, the Cooper was awoken by his wife, who said, Do you hear the noise the gentleman is making? I believe they are killing him. The Cooper would have then got up, but his wife was afraid there was someone at the door who would stab him. Mahoney later made a full confession, saying he and White were employed by the captain who told them his brother was mad and would not have long to live. The captain gave them both a bottle and a half of rum, asking White if he had ever killed a Spaniard. He then brought them nine feet of rope and a handkerchief as a gag and told them he would stand sentinel at the door while they did the work. When they were done, they knocked. And when the captain opened the door, he said, Have you done? They replied yes, and he said, Is he dead? And came into the room swearing. When he was sure his brother was dead, he locked the door and put the key in his pocket. They then all went into the captain's cabin to divide the money and to consult what was to be done with the corpse. It was finally agreed to keep it two or three days till the sailing orders came from the Admiralty, then sew it in a hammock and throw it overboard. With so many witnesses, it's not surprising that the evidence for the defence was miserably weak. It chiefly consisted of an attempt to prove that Sir John was a lunatic. The defence claimed that Sir John once got up at two or three in the morning, called his servants, then fell singing and swore it was only twelve at night, and he would lie in bed all day. They said he would shatter household goods to pieces and throw knives, forks or glass bottles at servants who annoyed him. 
The captain's argument was that Sir John, by his will, had cut him off from everything and given the estate to a family named Foote. This estate was worth £40,000, which is nearly £6 million in today's money. So the prisoner concluded that his brother must have been the maddest person in the world to have done this. Buchanan, the sentinel at the cabin door, was called to give his statement. He said that the captain came to him and sent him on deck while he spoke to his brother. Mahoney then went down and the struggle and cries of murder began. As the sentinel walked into the gunroom, he looked down and saw the captain take a candle out of a lantern which was hanging there and hand it into the cabin. The captain was then standing in the cockpit by the purser's door with a sword in his hand. When the sentinel came down with the light, the captain waved his sword and cried, Go back. Stay where you are. It took about three quarters of an hour for the crying to stop and the captain called for a candle then. And when the sentinel carried it down, the captain gave him his sword and told him to stand at his post. And if he heard any noise coming from his brother, he was to call for him alone. The defence also produced a witness, a lodging house keeper in Bristol, who claimed that Sir John had tried to rent a garret room so that he could put his brother in it and act as his guardian for his own safekeeping. This was three weeks before the murder. They also tried to show that King Road, where HMS Ruby was moored, was not in the county of Bristol or in the jurisdiction of the court. The recorder, summing up on all particulars, alluded to the fact that the day of the murder, Captain Goodear was very anxious to sail the next morning. The harbour master warned him of the danger of attempting to sail the Bristol Channel without a pilot ship. But he answered, If I can but get as low as the Downs, I don't care. The recorder also pointed out the fact that the murdered man had complained of being ill-treated by his brother, who, on the death of their father, had placed people in the house whom Sir John believed were there to kill him. Initially, White confessed to the crime and then pleaded drunkenness and ignorance of the whole event. Meanwhile, Mahoney merely said he was a poor, pressed man. But finally, he too confessed to the crime. And all three prisoners were executed at Hotwells in Bristol on the 15th of April, 1740. Mahoney's body was hung in chains near the place where the murder was committed. Samuel's body was sent for anatomical dissection, but was afterwards interred with his ancestors at Hereford. The baronetcy was inherited by Samuel's eldest son, Edward, who inherited the Dinley estate. He died labelled a lunatic and unmarried in March 1761 in Clapton, London. HMS Ruby was renamed HMS Mermaid in 1744 and was sold out of service in 1748. The celebrated humorist Foote was a relative of the murderer, and was once introduced to a party of wits 
as the young gentleman whose relative murdered his brother at Bristol. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. This incredible historical adventure follows a path of exciting events led by interesting people who reached beyond their grasp to touch key moments in time. The History of North America podcast series is an educational and entertaining look at the thrilling chronicle of North America, an action-packed tale of a continent that is still unfolding. I invite you to come along for the ride. Back in the day facts. So let's start off with the 15th of October 1582, when the Gregorian calendar was introduced in Spain, Portugal and the Pontifical States. They had to skip 10 days after October the 4th to sync the calendars together. The 16th of October 1813 saw the largest battle in Europe prior to World War I, the Battle of Leipzig, where Napoleon's forces were defeated by Prussia, Austria and Russia. The 17th of October 1963 and the Beatles record I Want to Hold Your Hand at EMI Studios in London. On the 18th of October 1922, the British Broadcasting Company was founded, later be called British Broadcasting Corporation, shortened to the BBC. On the 19th of October, 1596, the Spanish galleon San Felipe is shipwrecked in Urado, on the Japanese island of Shikoku, en route from Manila to Acapulco. This incident leads to the crucifixion of 26 Christians, who become known as the 26 Martyrs of Japan. And lastly, on the 20th of October 1955, The Return of the King, the third and final volume of The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, is published in London. I'm afraid that means it's time for me to say goodbye. But before I go, I'd like to say a huge thank you to those people who made the story come to life. And this week, we have Molly Jeffries, Colin Ball, Joe Wilson, Julian Kendall and Carrie Ball from St. Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio and Tony Allen. Thank you, one and all. Thank you for listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. This has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And if you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. And if you'd like to support the show with a donation, however small, you can go to ko-fi.com 
spelt K-O hyphen F-I. And if you're interested in buying merchandise featuring the show's logo, then pop over to tpublic.com where you'll find lots of things to choose from. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's perfectly easy. You'll be able to find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking for at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK or you can email me direct at info at backtracker.co.uk So until next time guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>